Amen. You can stay standing for just one moment longer. We're going to read Revelation chapter 5, our passage for today. Revelation 5, uh, verses 6 to 14. Let's hear the word of God today. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard, and around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we sing with revelation, worthy are you to receive praise. God, enthusiastically, God, we sing that last song, we are the sinner, we are the outcast, we are the ones that you came to redeem and reconcile to yourself. And so, God, we come today pleading again and again for your mercy and for your grace. And God, may the same grace uh, that brought us to you, may that same grace continue to transform us and sanctify us and form us into the image of your Son. Lord, we love you, and every single day we so desperately need you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Three weeks ago, uh, we started this series called The Gospel and Race, and we started it with two very different pictures of the world. The first was the picture of our world today, especially when it comes to uh, issues around racial reconciliation and racial strife. And we pointed out the obvious, that in our world today, that is a very tense and difficult subject with all kinds of emotions and issues surrounding it. That was a picture, uh, that, that a picture today is a picture that uh, has new issues arriving, arising almost weekly and a variety of opinions about the problem and solutions, and just as many uh, opinions there as there are a diverse range of races, of, of, of the colors of our skin. I mean, everybody's got a thought. Everybody's got an opinion. It's all over the map. But three weeks ago, I told you that, Lord willing, we would end our time this in this short series focused on a different picture, and that's where we come to today. It's the picture of how it's all going to end, what it's going to be like in heaven with God. We get that picture in Revelation really 4 to 7 and, and ongoing past that, but that, 
those, three, those four chapters present this stunning, majestic, beautiful picture of our Savior and what it's going to be like to be a part of that for everybody who believes in Him. That, that picture is of God, our King, seated on a throne. And it's not just any ordinary throne. This throne is made up of all kinds of jewels and glass and jasmine and all kinds of things. And there's lightning and thunder and the place is shaking. And it's so majestic and so incredible that, that not just any old worshipers will do. There are these incredible beasts described in all these details. And they're giving praise to God. And there's these elders who are casting down their, their, their crowns, worshiping this God. But not only that, you come to chapter 5 and there's this scroll that's pictured. And this scroll somehow represents God's divine plan and everything that He has in store. But because of the sin of our world, there's no one who is worthy to, to unroll the scroll and to see what it says and to take off the seven seals. Until this one appears who is like the, a lion, who is like the lion of Judah, the root of the one who is descended from David, but he's also a, a lamb. And he's standing as one who has been slain. And he alone is worthy to take the scroll. As he opens it, people from all over, it says, every tribe and language and people and nation, a great multitude beyond number, come and worship this Lamb, bowing down and praising Him with all the heavenly host because of who He is. And what he has done. And that detail about who is gathered is no small, minor detail. It is critical and crucial for us as the church today to look to the Word of God and see at the end there will be people from every tribe and language and people and nation all gathered around that throne. That glorious and, and spectacular picture is not just incidental. It didn't just so happen to work out that way. This morning, I want to conclude this series by pointing out how, how intentional and glorious that is for God to, to create our world in such a way that it's going to end like this. It's not random or arbitrary that everything is going to end with a diverse multitude praising God. It's glorious. It's miraculous. And it's all according to God's plan. And it's the same plan through which any of us and all of us can come to worship God. That plan is the gospel. And that's why we have built this series around a, a simple framework, a simple structure, and called it the gospel and race. Because the gospel is central, it's foundational. And so we started with talking about creation, how God created each and every one of us in the image of God. No matter our age or race or language or wealth or education level or any other marker, all of us, each and every one, every single person who's ever been created is created in the image of God. The next week we looked at the fall and how when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they plunged all of humanity into sin. And so just as we are all equally created in the image of God, so also all of us are sinners. There is not one who is righteous. All of us need a Savior. Last week, we took a parable of redemption that Jesus taught, and we used that to look to Jesus Himself, who is our great and perfect Samaritan, who came and rescued us while we were sinners in desperate need 
of rescue. He came not just at risk of his life, but knowing he would be laying down his life and paid for all of our needs to be met. Which brings us then to this fourth and final step in this picture, a picture of restoration. That one day, one day, everything will be made right again. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I want you to see that and understand that's how God's glorious picture of the gospel is unfolding. Because if you see that, if you see that we are all created in God's image, then we can't be prideful or arrogant or racist because we're, we can't put anybody below another. We all have the same foundation. We're all the image of God. If we see our sin in the fall, then we, we, we won't be defensive and self-righteous and trying to deflect that somehow we are good because we recognize none of us are. If we can come to the Bible and see Jesus' redemption, we can be humbled by grace and we can seek that forgiven life to live in a transformed way. And then today, my hope is that if you'll see restoration, if you'll see where we're all headed, then we'll be filled with hope and motivated to make a difference. The only solution to, to racial tension in our world today is the gospel. There are plenty of other uh, movements out there that are offering some kind of solution, whether it be a political or social agenda or a movement. And there may be things that we should be learning, blind spots we may see. But our foundation, our core, the very center of who we are has to be grounded in the gospel. That is the only way we are going to learn and grow and move forward as the people of God for today and for eternity. And so because of the Bible, we can, we can see the issues around us like they really are. We can see the depth of the problem, but not just the problem. We can see the solution and the hope we have for the future. Because of the Bible, we can see that one day this, this will end. But because of the Bible, we can also see what great cost it was to God to bring it to an end. So this morning, as we look to this picture of this lamb who was slain, we have to see what it cost God to get us where we're headed. And that was this, that Jesus himself ransomed people for God. The glorious ending we're all banking on, that we're all hoping for, is dependent on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, that he ransomed people for God. In order to appreciate and value what we're going to have uh, in eternity, we, we've got to see what Jesus did to get it to us, what he purchased for us. That, that picture at the beginning of Revelation 5 with the Father on the throne handing out a scroll, it, it, it's, it's, we, we needed somebody to come and to do this for us. And Jesus was the only one who could take that scroll. It says in verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Any of us being with God around the throne cost Him His life. That was the only way that we could be there. Any of us being there took that. So it's not a, a side note or a subplot of history to think about what Jesus did and what He accomplished. It's a critical part of this. And here's the Lamb, this, this one who is opening the seals and opening this scroll. And when we see that picture, we remember He gave His life for us. That's, that's the good news. That's the glory of the gospel. He laid down His life for us. Jesus, the perfect Lamb, the one 
who, the only one who did not deserve to die, died in our place. And he did it to make a payment, to, to give a, a ransom. A, a ransom is, is the price that you pay for the release of a prisoner. And Jesus' own life was that price. That is an, an infinite cost. There, there is nothing more valuable than the life of the Son of God. And it was laid down for you and for me to be able to come to God. Only because of the spotless Lamb, only because of His sacrifice, can we come to know God. Jesus ransomed. He gave His own life to pay the price to free a prisoner. We had sinned against God. So God owed, we owed our lives to God. We deserved the wrath of God. And yet Jesus took that wrath on himself so that we didn't have to take that wrath. That is good news. It is gloriously good news. But it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story because I want you to see that this is more than just about one person. More than just about you or me or any one other person. It's about a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. Jesus did more than just ransom in general people. Verse 9 and other verses help us see specifically Jesus did something even more glorious. He ransomed people for God from every tribe. From every tribe. Jesus ransomed people from God from every tribe. Verse 9, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The, the idea here is that's a whole lot of different kinds of people. It, 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 just one of those words would have been enough. You know, he could have just said uh, that he ransomed people from all the nations. And we'd have gotten the picture. But it's like he's, he's piling up all these words so that you can make sure you understand. I'm talking about all kinds of different people. That's who he ransomed. Everything God did, like, like everything else God does, it, when God sent His Son, it wasn't just, you know, let's see what happens. He, he wasn't just putting this in motion and just say, you know, whatever, whatever comes, comes what may, this is, this is what I'm going to do. No, God, God had a specific plan. He had an idea. He was working this out in history all according to His plan. And so apparently, God had planned for this multi-ethnic, this incredibly diverse group of people to be gathered around the throne in the end. That was his plan. And he knew it when he sent his son. And the incredible thing about this is that that means our ethnicity, where we come from, what we look like, our culture, it has meaning. It means God isn't colorblind. It means that God doesn't look at you and say, your skin color, your racial experiences, I, I don't see it. I don't, God, God doesn't look at you and say, I don't see your race. I don't see. No, he, he sees it, and he wants you to be a part of the kingdom so that this diverse group of people comes around the throne and is celebrated. God looks at us and says, I, I gave you that skin color, and I have walked with you through all of your life experiences, whether they be struggles or triumphs. God has walked with us, good and bad, and now he wants to redeem us to be a part of his kingdom. That's this powerful redemption that he's working. It's not, it's not arbitrary. It's not random. But it doesn't just happen to work out that way. He has a purpose in it. We can read here that all, people from all these groups, tribes, languages, people, nation, all be around the throne. So that means we keep our ethnicity in heaven. You will not be suddenly transformed in some generic 
you know, blended ethnicity when you get to heaven. If you're white, you'll be white in heaven. If you're black, you'll be black in heaven. If you're Middle Eastern like Jesus was, you'll probably Middle Eastern. However that works out in heaven, you keep your ethnicity because God is displaying something powerful around the throne of God. It, it's remarkable that God is intentionally choosing and calling all kinds of different people to himself. So Revelation 5, 9, it, it could have just said nations, but he's all these different people. He's calling to himself by giving us tribe, language, people, nation, is intentionally pointing out this, this is God's plan. A whole multitude of diverse people around the throne. All kinds of different people will be there. Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine how glorious and wonderful that will be? I, I'll tell you this, if, if you don't like diversity, if you don't like being around people who don't look like you or talk like you or sing like you, it's, it's going to be hard for you to enjoy heaven right? Like, think about heaven and how, I mean, just all these people. This, think, about, think about, you know, we just say all. That's probably hard, but let's start naming some, some different people that'll be there in heaven, because he says from all the different tribes. So there'll be a Spanish-speaking person from Argentina, a Russian-speaking person from Kyrgyzstan, an Arabic-speaking per person from Pakistan. There'll be indigenous groups and immigrant groups. There'll be Cubans and Nigerians and Koreans and Brazilians and Norwegians and Frenchmen and Indonesians. Is that a word? I don't know. And hundreds and hundreds of more groups. I mean, just imagine how spectacular that's been. When I started this, this uh, when I did the very first week and I talked about, you know, anytime you've been somewhere else and worshipped in a different culture or different language or something, there's something powerful about that. But that was just you and one other group, Right? I've never been in a place with hundreds of different languages and hundreds of different people. I mean, that is going to be a sight unlike anything else. It will truly be heavenly. And it's going to be so much fun to be a part of that. We will, we will all be there united around this one king, this one king, one throne. And we'll be praising God together. Man, if that, if that doesn't excite you, then you need, to, you need to come spend some time in the Word and be excited about the things God's excited about because this, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. What, why, would do, why would God do that? It's worth thinking about this for a minute. Why would God do that? I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be the same if we just all you know, spoke English just because we speak English? Wouldn't that be better? No? You know, what, why would God want to bring people that look different and talk different and have different life experiences all around the throne. John Piper wrote a, a really good book on missions uh, called Let the Nations Be Glad, and he spent some time kind of thinking that through. What, why, why is this important that there's all these different people praising God? He points out this. He said, there's a, a greater power and depth to the praise that comes to God from the unity in diversity rather than simple uniformity. And I'll explain it this way. Have you ever been to a, a, a symphony? Right? Symphony's got a lot of different instruments. I've never been to a symphony, symphony with a hundred piccolos, right? The little bitty flute thing. Like, I'm sure that would be interesting in some way if they're really good at that. But how much more spectacular is it when there's not just piccolos, but there's violins and tubas and cellos and French horns and clarinets and drums and even the little guy with the triangle, right? 
And now it's important, they're not just all playing whatever they want. They're all playing the same song, and they're all in tune, and they're all doing the same thing, but they're doing it in different ways with all their different talents and, and skills. And I'm acting like I understand music. You understand adult, but you know, you follow what I'm saying, right? Same thing with a choir. You ever, you ever seen like a really big choir? I've never seen a, a choir of a hundred sopranos, women singing high notes, right? If they could all sing, I'm sure that would sound decent, you know? Same thing if there was a hundred men, deep voice baritones, all singing the same note. I'm sure that would work, I guess. But you know how choirs work. You got the altos and the sopranos, the baritones and the tenors. I did that without even looking at my notes, by the way. Did you see that? It's great. Choir, choir talk right there. All those parts all singing together. All of them singing together. There's this depth and richness to the choir where the, where the music comes alive. That's why we got male voice and female voice up here. There's points to that. You know, like this is meant to be rich and enjoyable because it's different. It's diverse. And so it is around the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, around God's throne. There's a, there's a, a point to that. And even in addition to that, Piper goes on and makes another point. He says, strength and wisdom and love of a leader is magnified in the proportion to the diversity of people he can inspire to follow him. I know that's Piper talk. It's hard. Let me basically explain that. So if a leader can motivate one type of people to follow him or her, then he's probably speaking to that group of people's needs, right? But how much more spectacular is it, thinking about our Savior, that people from all walks of life, all races, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic statuses, all need the very same Savior. What does that say about that one Savior? It says He's the one all of us need. It's great when a leader can mobilize you know, a group of people, but Jesus is the only one who everybody needs in all places of the world. Many times a painting or a sculpture is beautiful to a certain group of people or a certain culture. But you know what every culture and every group of people is appreciated? God's paintings with sunrises and sunsets and waterfalls and sky, stars in the sky. God, the God of creator, his painting, his beauty in creation, everybody's appreciated that because he alone is the God over all. John Piper gives one more reason. It says, by gathering his redeemed people from all the races of the earth, God undercuts ethnocentric pride and throws us back on the free grace we were given him. And we give him all the glory instead of thinking that we are chosen because of our race. When we think about what heaven's going to be like for all of us there together, there's not, there's not like first place races, you know, they get a better seat around the throne and third places who have to kind of, you know, back up, right? We're, we're all around the throne. When we come to the gospel of grace and we see what heaven's going to be like, we, we're not going to put ourselves in front or behind somebody because we're all going to be there. You can see it's not, it's not a, just a mistake or a coincidence or it just so happened to work out that all these different people are going to be around the throne. This was God's plan. He has a purpose in it. He will be more glorified by this incredibly diverse, multi-ethnic choir around the throne than it would be if it was just a handful of different people. And I don't want you to think that I'm just like over-interpreting one verse of the Bible because 
this is the culmination, but it's been the plan all along through Scripture. You can go through and track this from beginning to the end. We referenced briefly in one of the earlier, past, earlier messages, Genesis 10 is the, called the Table of Nations. Genesis 11 is this Tower of Babel where people come together and in their pride they're trying not to follow God's command to scatter and fill the earth. From the beginning of creation, he told them to fill the earth and subdue it. We were supposed to spread out and grow diverse and do all kinds of things. But we were, we were coming together in arrogance, trying to make a name for ourselves. And so the Tower of Babel is where we were sent out with different languages. We're sent in confusion. And the very next chapter is Genesis 12, where God calls a man named Abram, who will become Abraham. And he makes a promise through him. And he says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Which means just as he had sent them out and scattered them in confusion, already he was making a plan to go and to bless all those different groups that he had just sent out. Because he wanted all people from all those groups, all the way back in Genesis 12, he wanted people from all those groups to praise him. You can go throughout the Old Testament. This is God's plan over and over again. Isaiah 49.6, God said to the prophet Isaiah, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. It was never just about one group of people. So, so with Psalm 67, 1 and 2, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us that Your way may be known on the earth, Your saving power among all nations. This was God's plan. His plan was to tell all the nations about Him. God's heart all through the Bible was for the nations. So it makes sense when Jesus sends out his disciples with the Great Commission in Matthew 28 by saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This was his plan from Genesis now all the way in, through the Old Testament into the New Testament and here at the end in Revelation. It was always about God being glorified by an incredibly diverse multi-ethnic, multilingual group of people. Genesis, I mean, Revelation 5 is just the fulfillment, the culmination, the, the undoing of all the chaos and the redeeming of all the pride and the, the restoring of the way things are meant to be. Because God knew that He'd be glorified among all the tribes. And note He says there are people from all the tribes. This does not mean that every single person in every single group will praise God. Of course, we still have to repent and believe. But we, can, we know that we'll be people from each and every tribe praising God because Jesus ransomed people from God, not just in general, but especially, but specifically from every tribe. So if, if, you're, if your mind's starting to go and you're starting to see this in the Word of God, I, I hope you're beginning to see the next steps here. What this means, these are, there are implications this has for the way we live here and now. And for one, we can see that the beauty of what God has done for us in salvation. Because God, yes, paid for our sins to reconcile us to Himself, but He also did something horizontally, didn't He? He reconciled us to God, but we are reconciled with a group of people. We, we are not alone. So Jesus, uh, our Christianity was never meant to be a one-to-one -one only relationship. It was meant to be us as the people of God gathered to him. And now we see that is a diverse group of people that are gathered to him. You see, in the new heaven and the new earth, there'll be this new humanity. And so all the, the wars, all the injustice, all the strife, 
it's all going to be over. Not because we'll all look the same and all, you know, but we'll all be different and worshiping the same God. All united by that. 1 Peter 2.9 calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's the church. That's us. That's a group of people gathered to God. And then consider what Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Remember that prayer, the Lord's Prayer? It has this line, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Which means that we, as God's people now, are meant to be trying to make this kingdom look like that kingdom. That's what he's saying. Well, whatever, whatever heaven's going to be like, we, we want to be like that now. Because that's how we glorify God. That's how we enjoy Him. That's how we celebrate Him. We should be seeking heaven on earth. That's what we do as Christians. And so my challenge to you and to me and to all of us from this gospel and race series is this. Seek to worship God with every tribe on earth as it is in heaven. Seek to worship the one true King of kings, Lord of lords, with every tribe right here on earth just as it will be in heaven. If the Bible tells us that God will be worshipped by every group of people in the world, which it does, and if the Bible tells us that God is more glorified by a diverse group of people worshipping Him, which it does, and if the Bible calls us to seek God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, then you can see how we land at this conclusion, that we should be as God's people, seeking to worship God with every tribe on earth as it is in heaven. The picture of heaven is going to be marvelous. Verse 10 speaks of this diverse multitude saying, You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You hear that works? All, all of us together, from all different walks of life, will form just one kingdom. It's not a variety of kingdoms doing different things. We're all one kingdom, and we'll all be priests, meaning we, are, we have direct access to God, and we are full-time worshipers. We are all doing that together reigning and ruling in the new heaven and the new earth as a part of God's family, following the same Lord. And yes, this unique picture of heaven will never fully be accomplished before we get there. I understand that. This is very hard. But we seek heaven on earth, even if we're not going to fully get there until Christ comes back. We seek to worship God with every tribe here on earth as it is in heaven. I'll give you two ways I think this should be playing out. And does in many ways. One is this should motivate our missions, shouldn't it? This should motivate our missions. How much comfort and encouragement should we have knowing that wherever we go, I mean, think about this. We have a promise that there will be worshipers of God from every group on earth. So that means wherever you go, one day there will be a worshiper from that group of people praising God. That's like guaranteed success. <laughs> On your mission trip. Now, there's no guarantee it'll be in that generation or it'll be somebody you meet, but you are planting seeds that God promises He will harvest. That is just a powerful motivation for missions. We, we got to get to all the people groups because all of them are going to be around the throne one day. And so God has equipped the church to be the ones that go and take 
the gospel to all nations, whether it be a Native American group in South Dakota, a group in indigenous mountains in Mexico, or wherever else God sends us, Ukraine, all over the world, we go and we send because there will be a multi-ethnic choir around the throne. And we want to be a part of that mission now. So that's the first huge implication of seeing what it's going to be like. But there's a second implication, isn't there? And it's closer to home, and it may be the harder one of the two sometimes. The harder one sometimes is that we should be intentionally seeking a multi-ethnic local church. Because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like people who have no reason to be spending time together and hanging out and doing life together except for this. They worship the same Jesus. The church shouldn't make sense apart from that unifying us. And that's one of the things I love about infinity. Some of y'all, some of me, we're weird people. We, we shouldn't be hanging out together. This wouldn't happen if it weren't for Jesus. And we want to seek that all the more, don't we? We want to seek that because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. When we have the chance to, to worship with other churches, like we do occasionally, like we did at Thanksgiving, we, you just feel it. You just know it. You just, there's something so beautiful and wonderful about that. But let's not make that just like a thing we want to do at holidays, right? Let's do this every week. And let's do it every day as we live life together as a diverse, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-socioeconomic status group of people as the local church. It's a closer picture of heaven when that doesn't just happen occasionally, but it happens within one local body of the church. Now, I know that is really complicated. This, this call to have a, a multi-ethnic church kind of came on my radar about 10 years ago, about a decade ago. You know, somebody was pointing this out to me in scriptures. And so it's kind of been one of those things that's always on my radar. So I, I take notice of when churches do this well. I listen to leaders when they're trying to think about how to do this well. And the, the long and short of what I've learned in the last 10 years is that a multi-ethnic church, church is really hard. <laughs> it's really complicated. There's a lot of factors that come up, and it's not easy. But I hope we can see in the Bible that it's worth it because God is glorified when different people come together and worship God. It's a heavenly mission, and we serve a really big God, and He can do it. Aaron and I were talking this week, and he said something really profound. He said, you know, if it doesn't happen here in the church, where else is it going to happen? If people don't come together here as a part of a church family, how are we going to expect society to figure that out? It should happen here. And I think the place it starts best is actually with all of our individual friendships. If I took a, a show of hands, most of you came to Infinity Church because somebody invited you. A friend, somebody you trusted, somebody you knew, somebody you heard about. And so you are invited by somebody else. So who are you inviting? Who are your friends? Do your friends look like you? Are we inviting, are we making friendships with people that don't look like us so that we as a church look diverse? Seek to, seek to worship God with every tribe here on earth as it is in heaven. It starts in our homes and our friend groups, and we pray it spreads to the church. Friday, you know, was the anniversary of MLK's famous I Have a Dream speech where he said, I have a dream 
that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. In many ways, we as a nation are still trying to do that, right? We're still trying to figure that out. But we can dream like he did for that with hope because we have an even greater dream. Here's the dream that's even better. And, and, and Martin Luther King Jr. knew this. He knew the word of God. God's word says that one day you will be around the throne singing to Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. That's a dream I have, not just in my head. It's a dream that we have in the Word of God, and it will come true. And we as God's people have the opportunity to pursue heaven on earth. That's what I want to be about. Let's pray. God, it's a blessing to know you. It's a blessing to be your people and to sing your praises. God, we confess it's really hard sometimes to look at a broken world and even care, even want to try to be a part of something better. But God, we, we are assured today that if we come back to your word as you have brought us over and over again, we see something far better, far more glorious, far more spectacular. And it's the picture of the kingdom of God. God, we pray that you would draw each of our hearts to you. That we as your people would grow to be more like you in the things that you care about. God, we pray that we would care about. And so God, we pray that you would rid our hearts of any prejudice or hate. And then instead you would fill our hearts with love for our neighbor. And that God, we would be intentional in pursuing love of neighbor, even when that's hard. So God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives among us, lives in us, and empowers us for your mission. And God, we pray that that same spirit would transform our lives, even today. As we close today, I just want to let you spend a few moments in prayer. Maybe you want to pray to God about church, our church, your family, your friend group, and ask God what it looks like for you to seek heaven on earth, here and now. What does it look like for all of us to be seeking the kingdom of God wherever we live? Maybe even as you're asking that, if you don't know God, you have not personally come to be a part of that kingdom, then that's where you need to start. Whatever you want to pray about, if you want to pray about it in your seat or at the altar, or come pray with me. I pray that you respond to the Lord today in faith, trusting that He's good and participating in His kingdom is better than anything else we could ever do. God, shape us to be like your Son and move in our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.